So we're uh, transitioning this morning from our study on suffering that we've looked at for the last uh, three months to now looking at a study on guidance in these last five weeks of 2020. Um, And in particular, we're going to be looking at how we discern and apply the will of God in our lives as we make our way through this fallen world as redeemed sinners who are on their way home. And throughout this, uh, this time together, these five weeks, kind of this mini-series on guidance, our goal is to look at what the Bible has to say about decision-making. Um, as you're probably aware, out in the world, there's all kinds of really unbiblical ideas about how to be guided and led in decision-making. Uh, for example, some people will look at a horoscope and try to understand how their lives are in that moment, what that looks like for them today. And it's interesting how decisions can even be made based off of something that a horoscope would uh, say to them or how their disposition changes if that horoscope, so to speak, uh, is projecting for them some good in their future. Some go further than, than horoscopes and go to actual psychics, so to speak, uh, with the same hopes and, again, decisions are made based on what they're told about their uh, future. On perhaps a less dramatic level, many look to secular counseling to stop making bad, life-destroying decisions and in order to start fresh with new choices that are guided by the so-called experts. And I think even as Christians, as those who trust God with our lives, we too can be tempted even still to look for guidance from the variety of ways that this world has to offer. Uh, But thankfully, God has not left us guessing when it comes to decision-making, right? He's given us his word to guide and direct us. And even if it doesn't spell out every possible detail and each scenario regarding each decision that we are confronted with. Uh, We trust that his word is sufficient to help us make decisions that are honoring to him. And our hope is that this class will provide some practical biblical help in this area of decision-making. And what we want to focus on this morning as we think about decision-making is that we want to be people who make decisions that please God by resting in his goodness. Uh, rather than being anxious people who are constantly terrified about choosing the wrong path for life. So as we, as we kind of open up with that, why do you think God would be displeased with anxious decision-making? Okay, I'm just kind of throw that out to you guys. Why would God be displeased with anxious decision-making? And by that, I mean decision-making where you're constantly on edge about every decision Uh, that you make. What do you think that would be displeasing to God? Or do you think it would be? Jonathan? Yes. Yeah, amen. Right? So I, I was thinking of that passage in Luke, right? Other, I think in Matthew as well but where he tells us not to be anxious, right? And he calls us to look at the birds and the flowers and to consider these things and therefore to be confident that our Father cares for us, right? And, and to not be anxious. So yeah, very good. Uh, any other thoughts on that, Sabrina? I was thinking of this 
Yes. Everything with prayer and supplication. Yes. Let your request be made known to God. Yes. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding. Yes. Amen. Amen. That's a great one. Yeah, that, that aspect of the peace of God guarding our hearts and minds. That's the, the outworking of us going to God and bringing our requests before him. What else? Michelle? Yes. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Amen. Excellent. Very, very good. All good scriptural references there as well. And I think if we're honest, like all of us battle with that, right? All of us struggle with that aspect of, you know, we make a decision and, and obviously the anxiety level probably rises with the weight of that decision, right? You know, if it's something like, you know, which cereal am I going to buy this week? There's not a lot of anxiety with that. But when you're like thinking of bigger things like buying a house, buying a car, you know, so on and so forth, those major kind of life decisions more anxiety tends to come with that. And it's not unusual for us when we make a decision to then begin second guessing ourselves, right? And constantly looking back and like, what did I miss? And you know, so what signs didn't I see, so to speak? And it it can really cause you to live in that constant state of anxiety um, if we're not careful. So hopefully what this class will do in these five weeks together is kind of help us to see how to make decisions that are honoring to the Lord and how to be able to rest and decisions that we've made, being able to trust his sovereignty over our lives. Um, I think from, from experience, we could all say that we've made decisions that we look back on and we say, I probably should have made a different decision. <laughs> um, but God is sovereign over all of that, right? He doesn't cast us off and say, oh, you made that decision, now I'm done with you. Um, he still mercifully works through even decisions that maybe we didn't deal with as wisely as we desired. Okay, so when we're anxious in our decision-making, we're telling God uh, essentially that he doesn't have the power or the wisdom to control this situation, to guide us according to his perfect will. Um, We we don't want to make that statement about him. Even if we don't verbally say that within our hearts and the way that we react to that, that's a message that we can convey. So how do we get to the place where our decisions are made out of trust and not anxiety? So today's lesson will hopefully be able to deal with that and look at what the Bible says about this issue. So this will be more of a big picture kind of look. And then in the coming weeks, we'll dive a little more deeply into that, as you can see on your, on your outline there. So how does God guide us? That's the second point there on your outline. Well, there's a few different ways um, that you see there on your outline, um, some things that have been proposed about decision-making. The first one there is guidance equals discerning God's plan. In other words, God has this secret detailed plan for each of us, and our job is to figure it out, right? You could see how frightening that would be and and how people can at times uh, live in that. By the way, numbers one and two are not the direction you want to go, just so you know. Uh, Number three is, so we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, we, We can try to figure out every minute detail 
um, in a situation. And again, it's good, we'll talk about this in a little bit, to gather information and try to make wise decisions, but we can take that to an extreme, right? Where we've, we've got to get every little thing down and it really paralyzes us from making any decisions at all, right? So that's what some people would look at guidance, meaning that we've got to try to discern God's plan in every little minute detail and unless we do that, we can't move forward in making any decisions. You can see how that would paralyze you. So again, that can sound right at first, right? It can seem like, oh, that sounds wise. You're trying to gather information. And again, that is wise, but it can actually, uh, again, paralyze you going, going forward. Also, it kind of presents this idea of God as uh, cruel and distant, like I'm I'm withholding information from you and I'm not going to give it to you. And you're trying to pry in as if he's not a beneficent father who loves us and cares for us. So that's one way that we could deal with it, which is not the, the best way. The second one is guidance equals listening to God. Um, The idea here is that God communicates directly with us and we need to listen to him. And directly, by by saying directly, we mean like audibly, like I'm going to listen for a voice (laughs) from God. Um, And again, maybe maybe within our circles, we may not struggle with that as much, but in Christendom at large, there's a lot of people who would kind of be just like, I'm waiting for God to speak to me. Um, and again, how that can kind of handicap you in a, in a situation. The problem with this as well, and you may have encountered this, is that people can think that God is telling them something when he's actually not, right? So in other words, we have the written word of God to guide and direct us. And some people will say, well, I'm just going to listen for what God is telling me. And then what they think God has told them is in conflict with what God has revealed to us in his word, right? So again, that, 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 that type of listening to God is not the type that we want to use in order for that. Yes. And sometimes not just listening audibly, but also like I'm waiting for a sign. Right, right. That's right, right, right. And then that doesn't do anything to like promote Christianity. It makes people look kind of crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. There are definitely people that would fall into that that type of thinking. And typically with that, what happens is we, we tend to lean on our own subjective experience, right? Rather than the objective word of God that, that stands over us. So In situations like that, I think when we're trying to make a decision like what job to get, uh, you know, who to marry, you know, so on and so forth, where you don't have like chapter and verse that you can go to that outline that plan for your life, right? We try to pry further into that and and really get an idea. But we're going to see that God's word, even when it doesn't speak specifically to each situation that we deal with, He's given us principles in his word that help us to know how to make wise decisions. And we'll talk about some of the other things that he gives to us as well to help guide us and lead lead us in that. And that brings us to number three there, that guidance equals wisdom. Kind of the thought behind this theory, uh, it's a lot less complicated, much more practical. 
And essentially what it says is that the normal way that God guides us is by making us wise. And he does so through his word, through prayer, through the counsel of others. And these are the ways that he equips us to make wise choices. So we'll unpack that a little bit more. So again, I think those are helpful, um, that kind of Capitol Hill Baptist laid out there with those three different ways. And you can see how the error of two ways, and you probably have seen this even in your own life, right, of, of kind of leaning in some of those directions at times. But again, God has given us his word. He's given us the means of prayer to commune with him. And he's given us other people in the body of Christ that can help us think through decisions that we're needing to make and can join us in prayer and also in giving counsel. So that third uh, theory there of guidance is the one that we would say the Bible teaches and aligns with the most. Um, Restful decision-making is the decision-making of wisdom, right? It's not the decision-making that depends on God doing something necessarily extraordinary. And it's not the anxious decision-making of of hunting down uh, what we would say is an elusive God, right? That God just keeps moving and we're trying to figure out, you know, his plan for our lives. So what we want to do through this course of study is see how God guides us through his word, either specifically or principally. And he does that by equipping us with wisdom and knowledge of how we should live our daily lives. Um, some, some passages that kind of help underscore this uh, mindset. First one here is Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, somebody want to read that for us? Go ahead, Kyle. Uh, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Okay, good. So what, what we're kind of getting at here is we think about the finality of the coming of Christ and then the apostles proclaiming what he did and kind of summing up all of Revelation um, in, in scripturated revelation, right? So God has spoken in times past in many different ways, right? Talk through a, a donkey uh, at one point, but we're not going to the farm for decision-making, hopefully, right? You say, like, what, what saith you, donkey, um, right? So th- those are extraordinary things that God has done in the past, but he's given us his word. We have a closed canon, and it is sufficient to guide us and direct us, um, Hebrews 4.12 is another passage that hits on the need for the word of God in our lives and in our decision-making. Somebody want to read that for us? Hebrews 4.12 says, Therefore, since we have All right, so just thinking about the aspect of the penetrating nature of the word of God, right? How it, how it comes in and assesses us and also in assessing us, corrects us and makes us wise and helps us to know how we ought to think. And then one more here, Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 6. I'll go ahead and read that. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding... Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. 
So again, you see the sufficiency of the word of God laid out there in Proverbs 2. So Hebrews talks about how God speaks to us today through his son and through his word that he's given to us. Proverbs teaches us that we're to seek after wisdom and that wisdom is found in the word of God and that the Lord delights to give it. You can think of another passage there in James 1 that talks about that, that that if we come to him and we ask for wisdom, that he will give it, right? He's not trying to withhold it from us. He's not trying to keep us guessing. And we'll get into this more in the next few classes. But for now, I want to emphasize that when we seek God's guidance, we should expect that guidance to come primarily from the word of God. Even as we're getting counsel from other people, uh, we need to take that counsel and discern is what they're saying principally lined up with the word of God, right? As they share these things with us. All right, so let's, let's look now at the third point there. Our enemy, which is indwelling sin. So we looked at those first two theories under that second point. We saw, we saw how those aren't particularly affected by sin because guidance is something that basically happens to us, right? But if biblical guidance essentially comes down to wisdom, then indwelling sin is a huge problem, right? Because it can still cause us not to think rightly as we gather information. It it colors all that we do and all that we think. The Bible shows us many different examples about otherwise very wise people who made poor decisions. Um, Think of David, lusted after Bathsheba, giving into those temptations, leading to adultery, and then later the murder of Uriah. So, Let's, let's kind of think through here about the effect of indwelling sin. And basically there, we want to look at this in three categories. Okay, so I'm just going to kind of lay these out for you. You can write them down if you would like. Sin challenges our ability to make decisions rightly. Uh, the first way is by decisions of righteousness. Decisions of righteousness. And by righteousness, what we mean is what God has told us to do and not doing what he has prohibited. We all know from experience that even here where God's guidance is most clear, uh, we still disobey, right? He's given us clear commands. There's not any ambiguity in those commands and we still disobey those. And then when we get into other issues, um, we, we can still tend to turn what is black and white into gray and make decisions that are according to our, our own desires, our own sinful desires, rather than on the word of God. And then there's times where we just flat out rebel because we believe sin and its false promises instead of God's true promises for us. So it affects decisions of righteousness Next, it affects decisions of judgment. Uh, we, we would say that many decisions are legitimately black and white, but then there are other decisions where, um, where we have Christian liberty, right? Where we need to exercise good judgment. So again, when, when we're thinking about, for example, where to live, uh, where to go to school, what to do for a living, uh, Maybe you're thinking about like, how much, how much life insurance should I buy, 
right? Just very practical type of things as we think through those. Um, Even in those areas where there's a lot of Christian liberty, our motives and our perceptions can be distorted by sin. Uh, And the counsel we receive from friends can also be distorted by sin. So again, that's why we have to have an objective standard that we can look to in order to discern uh, the will of the Lord as we try to make decisions that are honoring to him. So you have decisions of righteousness, decisions of judgment, and then there's just decisions of triviality. In other words, some decisions just, again, don't matter as much. But even here, indwelling sin is our enemy because of our tendency at times to confuse maybe what are trivial decisions with bigger decisions or vice versa. We treat bigger decisions as trivial ones. Um, You know, I mean, again, you could go to the supermarket and you can think, you know, I've got a lot of decisions to make as I walk down the aisle, right? Um, But even there, on a smaller level like that, sin can be affecting your heart and and causing you to uh, think in ways that are not honoring to the Lord. So again, we want to try to have the word of God constantly renewing our minds and decisions that we're making. So if it's true that God normally guides us through wisdom then we still have some serious things to kind of grapple with on how to make good decisions. Um, If our wisdom or or the wisdom that we're applying is warped by sin, again, how do we make those good decisions? Well, again, we come back to what I stated at the beginning is that God guides us and that he is for us and not against us, right? We have to have that firmly rooted within us that as we seek to make decisions, daily decisions, a lot of those smaller decisions, that even in those decisions, we trust that God is for us and not against us. He wants us to make decisions that are honoring to him, okay? God truly does guide us even with all of the uh, issues that we have still with indwelling sin. Uh, So a few verses that speak to this end. Proverbs 16, 33, that show us that God's involvement in our life is very complex. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Right? So again, just speaking to that aspect of every decision. Right? It's every decision is from the Lord. That is how acquainted God is in general in this world, but even more so in our lives as his people. Okay? Another passage that helps us to see how God is for us, Philippians 4.19. Somebody want to read that for us? Go ahead. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Thank you. All right. So my God will supply every need of yours. Right? So again, the, the intimacy that God has with our lives. Right, He knows every need that we have. He's concerned with every need that we have. And he promises to help us. And then one that is similar, we talked about this a little bit earlier as we were discussing decision-making that is not anxious. Matthew 10, 30, Jesus says this, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Again, just speaking to how intimately acquainted God is uh, with us as his people. So these passages help us to see that God is in control, that he has a plan for each of our lives, big picture, to conform us into the image of his son, 
but he is intimately acquainted with all those little decisions as well. That thought alone helps to kind of quell the anxiety that can arise in our hearts, especially as we're just moving day by day and making little decisions here and there, understanding that God is concerned with all of these and desires to guide and direct me in all of these. If I will turn to him and apply or take advantage of the things that he's given uh, for me. So the, the most minute details of our lives, God is well acquainted with. And that's something that you see in the scriptures, right? As, as you consider the vastness of God's creation, the vastness of this universe, right? It's overwhelming to think of God's intimate care for each one of us and the decisions that we make in our lives. Um, in his book, Step by Step, James Betty Petty tells us that the universe is 12 billion light years across. He points out that there is a galaxy for every grain of sand on the earth. Just think, just let that sit on you for a minute, okay? You think about how vast this is. And against that backdrop, Petty writes this, one person's decision about a job, a school, or a roommate may seem incredibly insignificant outside the tiny temporary sphere of our self-centered existence. Why would God be concerned with such fleeting details anyway? Are we just living in denial, ignoring all the evidence for the insignificant of, insignificance of our decisions? Right? So as, as we look around at the vastness of this, uh, we, can, we can be tempted to think that who am I in light of the greatness and the vastness of all that's going around or, or all that's around me. And that's even just the things that I see. I'm, I'm not even aware of just how expansive the universe is other than, you know, things that I read and things that, you know, I can see when the Hubble telescope goes up and, you know, blasts out images for us, right? And that can cause us to think that God is distant from us, right? He's so massive, right, that he's distant. But then you have like Jeremiah 29, 11, God's word to his people there under the old covenant uh, where he reminds them in the midst of very dire situation, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope, right? So you get promises like that that kind of come and you're like, okay, there's, there's a, an intimacy that God has with me as I think about the vastness of who he is. It's not to discourage me, but to actually encourage me. And you see the psalmist do this in Psalm 8, right? He says, when I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars that you have set in place or that you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him, right? So he just gazes up into the heavens sees the stars and the moon, the vastness of the universe, and he's like, who am I that you would even care for me? But the reality is that he does care for us. And intimately, as Jesus expresses in the New Testament, as he laid out there in Matthew 10, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Uh, not one sparrow, which is bought for a penny, falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Are you not much more valuable than they? Right? So all these exhortations and encouragements come to us to remind us that God is concerned with each detail of our lives. And as we make decisions, he's concerned about those decisions 
that we make. Okay, any thoughts on that before we move on to the next uh, point here? Kyle. So I had a thought going back to um, uh, number three with uh, just dealing with the growing sin. Yes. And um, just thinking about like my own struggles, I got thinking about the emotions. Yeah. And, like from a, from a sinful perspective. Yeah. So, you know, the, the emotions heighten whether something's good or bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If it, you know, if they're used well, then it makes right. it even better, right? Right. If you, you know, if it becomes sinful, I think of like idols or things that we get attached to. Yes. And then our emotions make it, I must have it. Yeah. I can't yeah, live yeah. without, you know, it right, right, right. convince us of mm. these other things. So when you're bringing up the decision-making process, I was just thinking about how, you know, when, when sin does enter the picture, how it does make it more difficult because our emotions get involved, yeah. become invested, there becomes this aspect of, um, uh, like, this emotional commitment, yep. you know, that we make, right, consciously or unconsciously. Right. And then that influences our decision, you know. Yes. It, it gives more weight to categories, kind of like what you're saying, you know. Yeah. We can make trivial things and make really big. Yep. Right, you think of offenses, you know. Yep. Like, you know, that just so many of those categories. And, um, yeah, I just thought that was a really helpful perspective that you have to account for indwelling sin when you do think about wisdom that yes. you, know, you go in with a bias and you just yes. you need to make sure you understand what that is Amen. You know, or where you're tempted yes know. absolutely very good excellent alright let's take a look at this next uh, section here so number five framework for decision making so again how does this work if we shouldn't expect God to Uh, speak audibly to us about every decision that we need to make. And if we should distrust some of our basic instincts, as Kyle was mentioning, because of sin, how do we make those decisions as Christians? Well, going back to that book that I mentioned by James Petty, Step by Step, he gives seven suggestions that you'll see there on your handout. We're going to kind of just work through these a little bit. And I think they're good principles that uh, he lays out here. The first one there is consecration. Consecration, as you can see there on your note sheet, means we need to understand ourselves. And again, that kind of goes back to what Kyle was just mentioning about the need to know what our inclinations are at times, the need to know our weaknesses and how we're prone Uh, to make decisions. We can look back on bad decisions that we've made and we can learn from those, right? We can try to assess, okay, what was I thinking at that time? What was I looking for at that time, right? So we want to understand that consecration deals with giving ourselves over to God. And that little uh, blank there, it means we need to understand ourselves and God and how our responsibility relates to his providence, right? Our responsibility relates to his providence. Uh, We'll spend the next three weeks kind of flushing out the context for decision-making. And in particular, next week, we're going to be looking at goals for our decisions and and kind of working through that. But as we think about this issue of consecration, um, Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 really speak well to this. And I want you to notice how it relates to the will of God and thinking through decision-making. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God. So that's that aspect of consecration, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, okay? That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So you see the relationship to the need for us to remember that we've been bought with a price, that we're consecrated unto the Lord, and how we're instructed to allow the word of God and not the ways of this world to guide and direct us. And it is through that, as we give ourselves to the word of God, that we'll be able to test what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That is what we want as Christians, right? We talk about that aspect of consecration. It's, it's a wholehearted consecration, right? It's everything to God. My job, my talents, my marriage, my kids, everything, all the decisions that I'm making, I'm not withholding anything and just saying, God, you have all of this in my life, but this part of my life is for me, right? We want to be transformed into his image by the word of God. And again, Paul says that when that happens, then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is for us. We, we've got to make that conscious decision to turn from the world and its ways and its desires, turn from our own selves apart from the word of God and our desires, and come before God with everything that we are and to lay those before him. Jesus puts this very succinctly in Matthew 6.33. Somebody want to read that for us? Okay, go ahead. Okay, good. All right, so seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So again, that speaks to that aspect of consecration, all that we are, remembering whose we are and what our lives are to be about. So seeking God's guidance is not about using God to attain our personal view of success, right? We lay everything before him, all of our decisions before him. And our number one desire is that he would be glorified in the decisions that we make. Okay, number two that uh, Petty lays out in his book is information. And again, this comes back to what I stated earlier. It's good to gather information, right? When you're making a decision, hopefully you're taking that into account. Most important piece of information to collect is the simple answer to a simple question. And that's there on your note sheet. Is one path of my decision prohibited by God? Is this prohibited by God? Then we have our answer, right? And whatever that decision is, if God's word tells us no, then we need not look any further than what we have there. So we want to make sure that we, we think through that. But often when we make decisions, is this prohibited by God? Often the answer is no, it's not prohibited. It's something that uh, I can do. Um, and so then that's where we start thinking through trying to use the wisdom that God has given to us in his word as we pray to him, as we seek the counsel of others. We start making those 
daily decisions or those more life-changing decisions or more life-impacting decisions, I would say. Um, Which school to go to, who to marry, uh, what job to take, um, how, how much money should I save, right? All of those things are in that realm of uh, just decisions that each family has to make. There's not necessarily a right or a wrong from Scripture, but it's one that uh, has to take a lot of information into account, doesn't it? Right? Uh, and, and depending on the season of life that you're, that you're in. Paul encourages us in Romans 12.3 to gather information first on ourselves when he says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Okay? So we want to gather information first about ourselves and not to elevate ourselves or to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but to have that humble disposition. Okay, the next one is supplication. This gets into what we talked about earlier of, of prayer, right? Just going to God in prayer, asking him to help us as we seek to make these decisions. A few passages that are really helpful that, again, promise us of God's help in these things. Psalm 25, 5. Somebody want to read that for us? Go ahead, Kim. Okay, good. So there's that supplication, right? Lead me in your truth and teach me. It's that position of humility um, and the trust that God, again, he is the God of our salvation, right? The the psalmist is affirming that. Like, you care for me. You you bought me. I am yours. For you, I wait. Uh, Jesus reiterates this in Luke 11, 13, where he says to his disciples, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Well, the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Again, just that desire to bless as we come to him and express our need. Uh, You might think also of the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, right? Where Jesus says she finally got what she was asking for. Why? Because of her persistence, right? She kept going and the unjust judge gave her what she desired. God, who is perfectly just, will certainly meet the needs of his people. So as we think about that, as we think about prayer as a vital means of making decisions, you know, we pray for wisdom. We ask the Lord to help us specifically with the things that we're working through. Um, We also ask him to help us, Lord, help, help me to see if there are any blind spots in my own heart that are, you know, distorting my view of this situation. And we ask him to sanctify our desires, to make us holy and help us to make decisions that would honor him. Okay, let's go into the next one. I know I'm kind of moving through these quickly, but we're running short on time here. Uh, Is consultation. Consultation. Right? The Bible tells us to get advice from others. Right? Not that the words they speak are the revealed words of God to us, unless they're quoting exactly the scriptures, 
but part of wisdom is seeking advice from people other than yourself. And that's something that we see run throughout the book of Proverbs, for example. Some really helpful passages on this. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Right? Not good? A wise man listens to advice. Think of how anti-human that is, right? This world is telling us, hey, listen, you're, you've got everything you need within you. You can make your own decisions, so on and so forth, right? And the scriptures tell us a wise man listens to advice. <laughs> a wise man leans in and just says, hey, I might not be seeing this correctly. Can you give me some input on this? Can you help me to think through this? It's, a, it's an act of humility, isn't it? Right? To recognize that I don't have, God has given me people in my life to help me in these things, in these decisions. Proverbs 13 10, very similarly. Somebody want to read that for us? Say It's a tough word there. Insolence. Strife. Good, thank you. Okay. Again, the second half of that, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Okay, so you see the connection there with advice and wisdom. And then finally here, Proverbs 15, 22. Without, can't, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Okay, so again, all of these speak to that aspect of the need to, to take advice and to gain advice from others. Again, that requires humility. Uh, we need humility to seek advice and also humility to not only seek it, but to listen to it. We need humility to listen to advice when, when it goes against what we want, right? right? We can have some preconceived ideas and we can, try to, we can try to find people who we know are gonna agree with me, <laughs> right? It's like this person thinks the same way. Hey, what do you think about this, <laughs> right? <laughs> And then they just tell you what you want to hear, right? But humility is also, I know this person loves me and will help me if I'm thinking wrongly about this and will have the love for me to tell me that it's the wrong way or maybe I need to think about some other things that I'm not thinking about, okay? So when we think about who should we ask well, I think it really depends on the nature of the decision that you're trying to make. Obviously, there's wisdom in just um, godly, mature Christians in seeking counsel from them, um, and especially from those who you have a relationship with, who know you, who, who are familiar with the dynamics of your life and your situation. Um, sometimes you can get counsel from non-Christians, but taking into account their worldview on certain issues, but perhaps you're trying to make some financial decisions that a non-Christian maybe has a lot of expertise on. Now, they may not have the same goal that you do to glorify God, but they may be able to help you think through uh, the best investments in these areas and have more wisdom on those things. So again, uh, we don't want to just restrict it to just say, hey, it's only a couple people that you can get advice from, um, but you also want to go in cautiously and understand uh, who it is that you're, that you're asking. But certainly the general principle is godly mature Christians 
who can help you to think through uh, your situation. Okay, I'm just taking a look at the time here and what I have left. So I'll quickly go over the rest of these. Meditation is the next one there. And by meditation, what we mean is biblical meditation. In other words, allowing the word of God to fill our minds and then transform our hearts, right? Um, really helpful as you're trying to make decisions and maybe you know, you, you're, you sit down to think about a decision that you need to make, but then you have to get up and you need to go do something. The word of God is dwelling within you. That word can continue throughout the day to just guide and direct your heart as you're trying to think through uh, decisions that you're needing to make. Okay, so again, we're not, when it talks about pitfalls there under meditation, we're not speaking about some unbiblical form of, of meditation where you're just seeking some type of euphoric state. Also, making sure, another pitfall in meditation is make sure you're not worrying, right? You can just meditate on anxiety and worry about the decision that you need to make. Also, making sure that in our meditation, we're not um, thinking about this would be much better for my life or my circumstance, and you start going beyond the realms of reality into some type of fantasy of you know this bigger house or bigger car or you know whatever the case may be. Um, so just again, allowing the word of God to restrain your own heart and keep it in check is uh, very very important. Now, if we avoid meditation, here's another pitfall that can lead to hasty decision-making. Uh, sometimes we just say that I want to go with my gut, my gut feeling on this. And sometimes that's right because your gut, whether you're recognizing it or not, hopefully is informed by the word of God. But other times that needs to be checked and uh, we don't want to make hasty decisions and skip too fast past uh, the meditation stage. Another pitfall there is you don't want to get stuck, like you're just constantly thinking about it, and it leads to inaction and not making a decision. So again, allow the Word of God to be what you meditate on as you think about uh, the decision that you need to make. Okay? And then the sixth step that Petty gives there is decision, right? There's a time to decide, right? You've got to make a decision, Capitol Hill in this section referenced um, Kevin DeYoung's book, Just Do Something, that deals with decision-making, right? So there's that time to pray there, that there's that time to consult, time to gather information, and then there's a time to decide, right? And sometimes this is forced upon us. We got to make a decision very quickly, right? We, 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 we wish we had more time to think about it, but the nature of the situation calls for a decision to be made uh, very abruptly, uh, and, and we have to decide. We have to make a choice about something. And we have to continue to live our lives in those moments. Again, sometimes we have to make those decisions based on less information where we're not as confident as we'd like to be. Um, but it's especially important in those moments to remember that God is sovereign over our lives. He knows that that decision that just arose, that whatever it is, and I have to make a decision on it by, you know, the next hour or something like that, um, he is in control of that as well. And so to not allow anxiety to get the best of us in those situations. 
right? So we want to make sure that we can think through that properly and trust the sovereignty of God. Remember, he loves us, he cares for us, and he is for us and not against us. He's going to use every decision that we make ultimately for our good and for his glory. That's the promise that we have in Scripture. Okay, so practically... um, Petty gives some steps in making a decision. He says sometimes he likes to write down what he's learned through the steps of the process as he thinks about it. Lay out a list of pros and cons. That's a good way to kind of work through things when you have the time to be able to do that. Um, And then also, if you're married, obviously consultation with your spouse, right? Before you're making any, especially big life-changing decisions. Okay, so it's a couple of things that he gives there. Okay, and then lastly, seventh point that he gives there is expectation. I'll just read it off of your handout here. Biblical decision-making is obsessed with our responsibility to be faithful stewards, and it is confident that God cannot be thwarted in his work of always doing what is best. Right? Again, coming back to Romans 8, 28 here. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So again, looking back on decisions, maybe that you've made in your life, not allowing those to continue to affect you in the present and on into the future, right? And keep you from making decisions, right? You're gonna have to keep making decisions. Even if you've made poor decisions, trust that God is sovereign over that and try to get the wisdom that you need to make better decisions moving forward. But don't let those past decisions paralyze you from making future decisions. Continue to seek the wisdom that God has given to us in his word in order to make decisions that are honoring to him. Okay? All right. I know that last part was kind of fast and furious there, but any closing thoughts here before we uh, head into the sanctuary? Good. Okay. So that'll that'll kind of set us up for the next uh, several weeks here as we look at God's providence a little bit more, our responsibility, and that last class really dealing with uh, the tools that are necessary. This was, again, kind of an overview of things that will be expounded on a little more in a little more detail in the coming weeks. All right, let's go ahead and, and pray.